I'm Farah Duro, and you're listening to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PCS Revolution Podcast. I'm here today with Carrie Jones, who's a naturopathic doctor whose passion and expertise lies in the areas of hormonal, adrenal, and thyroid health. She recognizes that imbalance can occur at any age and believes it's important to look at the big picture, such as the appropriate use of lab testing. Uh, Dr. Jones graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and went on to complete her residency in women's health, endocrinology, and hormones, and later graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with the goal of doing more international work in health empowerment. So I'm very excited to have you here today. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk all about PCOS. This is going to be fun. Yes, and I've seen your webinars and listened to your information on the uh, Precision Analytical website. It's been very helpful with our patients and with myself too, just looking at you know what, what we can also find out now about the body and the, the way I explain it to my patients. And I think you might have said this too, but uh, it stuck in my brain is that it's like looking at a house with 10 windows instead of two. Uh, right. So when they look at blood work, it's like, oh, that's nice. But now we can actually get a view of to how the hormones are interacting with the body. So uh, so what I just want to ask, um, what really made you want to study this and, and go into this kind of field? You know, I've known since I was a little kid that I wanted to be in the field of women's health, um, gynecology, reproduction, and um, I thought for a long while that I wanted to do actually obstetrics and deliver babies. And then I, what I realized was um, it was really more fulfilling, more passionate, more exciting for me to talk to women just in general about hormonal health, about fertility stuff, about menopause, and really just educating on that end as opposed to while they're pregnant. I have so many wonderful colleagues that are midwives, that are OBs, that are, you know, in the trenches delivering babies. And I'm much better at the education, um, the non-baby side of education. And so that's really what just spurred it. And being a woman and seeing um, so much misinformation out there and just so much um, maybe generalized information. I'm very much a why person. I kept asking, well, like, why is that? Why is that? Why does that hormone do that? Why does, why do I feel this way? Or why do women tell me all the time they feel this way and it just kept my um my passion just growing and growing for this field and so that's what I've stuck with it's the only thing I've done I don't know anything else so if your like knee hurts don't ask me I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you just you just know when at an early age what you want to do and and that's awesome because I think that this has the potential to help so many women around the world too. And, and I don't know if you watched the Oscars last night, but they had one of the winners was a, a documentary about uh, called Period End of Sentence. I know. I'm so yeah. excited. And it was great. It actually, you know, shows women in India who are actually, you know, getting this kind of help. And, and so we have listeners in India, we have listeners all over the world, and they might not know about this test. So could you explain a little bit about the Dutch test and really what it does, how, how you administer it and all that? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely different than most people imagine when it comes to hormone testing. So we call it a dried urine hormone test. So it's not a blood draw. It is not saliva. It's these pieces of filter paper that you urinate on four times through the day. um, And you'll do it the fifth time at night if you have insomnia and wake up in the middle of the night. So you just urinate on this little piece of paper. You let it air dry for 24 hours and mail it back to the lab. And we call it the Dutch test and it's an acronym. It stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormone 
hormones. And what makes it so comprehensive is that you get all the hormones you're used to, like estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. But because it's urine, you get what we call the pathways or the metabolites. So you get your estrogen markers, but then you also get to see which pathway your estrogen is going down. You get your testosterone marker, but then you also get to see which pathway your testosterone is going down, which is so helpful for women with PCOS because as an example, that one of the testosterone pathways is the pathway that has the higher increased chance for cystic acne on the jawline and hair growth in places women don't want and male pattern baldness, um, even in women and like mood swings like anger and irritation. And so when you get this information, you can see this pathway like, oh my gosh, that's, that's why I have acne and that's why I have you know, a mustache or nipple hair that I don't want. Um, and then you and your practitioner can do something about it. So it's really empowering. That's exactly right. And there's two different pathways. We can see, you know, that the, the testosterone goes down, I guess, with the alpha and beta. We say, and, and yes. a lot of times uh, it, there's one that's more problematic than others. So when we show a, a patient this and they say, well, that's why, you know, it's exactly. like a light bulb moment. <laughs> so. Especially if they've done a blood draw and they've been told that their testosterone, for example, is normal. Like, let's say they suspect PCOS or they're having high testosterone symptoms again, right? Acne, male pattern baldness, you know, um, again, hirsutism, right? Hair growth in places we don't want. Um, and then they get a blood draw and their doctor's like, no, your testosterone's fine. That's not the problem. But yet what you don't realize, what you can't see in blood work is that your testosterone production might be normal, but when it goes down a pathway, it's choosing the symptomatic pathway. It's choosing the acne pathway. It's choosing, you know, the nipple hair pathway and the chin hair pathway. And so now that you can see that, you're like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like this is definitely hormonal and there's definitely something we can do about it. So we're going to just break down a little biochemistry for a moment. And if you can explain the typical presentation of PCOS, just in that way, what uh, I know everyone is slightly different, but um, what you see a lot of times with women who are doing the Dutch test with PCOS, what they might expect to find. Absolutely. So on blood testing, we tend to see, not always, but tend to, um, we'll see high estrogen. Um, they have estrogen dominance compared to their progesterone. And the common reason for that is a, women with PCOS have problems ovulating. And in order to make progesterone, you have to ovulate. You have to release that egg so that the cells left over can convert into different cells that make progesterone. And so for women who maybe don't get a period or their periods are really irregular, or they just don't ovulate, they don't, they don't get progesterone. And as a result, their estrogen's a, ho a whole lot higher comparatively. We tend to see that they have higher testosterone and higher DHEA. Not always, but we definitely tend to see, again, that higher 5-alpha pathway that I was talking about. So that acne, hair growth in places you don't want, but hair loss on your head type pathway. And so, um, and then when it comes to adrenal health, you know, one of the causes, one of the potential causes of PCOS is an adrenal-based PCOS because women can make testosterone and DHEA, of course, out of the adrenal glands. And so if you have really fired up um, HPA or hypothalamic pituitary adrenal 
dysfunction. Like if everything's really high, you're in fight or flight all the time and your stress is high, your cortisol is high, your adrenaline is high, then it's often common that your testosterone and DHEA will be high as well. So when we're looking at adrenal results, I'll say, oh gosh, you're really fired up. Look at all this cortisol you're producing as well. And of course, the more cortisol we have, we tend to have blood sugar issues. We tend to gain weight around the middle. We tend to have insomnia. We tend to have like, again, skin and hair changes. It affects our thyroid. Like cortisol is helpful when it's in balance, but it's definitely, um, can be destructive when it's, when it's out of balance. So that's the common patterns I see with, with most, with a lot of PCOS. It's not always, but pretty common. And one thing I've noticed with this test that it actually measures metabolized cortisol and free cortisol. So I have been seeing a pattern a lot with our patients uh, that they have actually high free cortisol, but low metabolized cortisol. So could you explain why that might happen? Definitely. Thirties or so, and thirties, early forties. The most common reason, believe it or not, is a thyroid problem. So when the and it's usually a slow thyroid problem. So either they have hypothyroidism, that's um, you know pretty pretty dominant, or they have sort of the subclinical, sort of low grade hypothyroidism. Maybe their conversion, their ability to convert from the um, T4 form into the active T3 form is not that great. No matter what, no matter when that happens, what that does is it slows every down. And women can identify with this. They're like, yeah, everything slows down with the thyroid. My hair growth slows down. My skin gets drier. I have more constipation. My metabolism slows down. My ability to get pregnant slows down. Like everything slows down. It also slows down what we call the metabolism of, of cortisol. So it can't get metabolized through the liver in an, in an appropriate manner. And so what happens is the free cortisol gets higher because it can't it can't get metabolized. So you have this low, slow metabolize with a higher free cortisol. And so when we see that on the Dutch test, I'm often saying to um, patients and practitioners, hey, look, we need to look a lot deeper into your thyroid. We need to look at a full panel. We need to look at antibodies. We need to look at reverse T3. We need to look at more than just beyond the main hormone everybody thinks, which is TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone. And it's, you know, of course, super common in women and they're 30s and 40s, because as we get older, you know, more things get in the way of our thyroid, more things can inhibit the conversion of our thyroid into the active hormone. Um, we, as women, we are more prone to autoimmune disease, and there's the autoimmune thyroid is called Hashimoto's. And so it's really, in pregnancy, um, um, the act of being pregnant, a lot of women have told me, oh my gosh, I came out of pregnancy and my thyroid went crazy. Like I developed autoimmune and or, and or I became hypothyroid because of just being pregnant and women in their 30s, um, it's, a prime, it's a prime pregnancy time. And so I'm always telling women, make sure your practitioner is checking everything. <laughs> make sure you're kind of like looking at the big picture when it comes to thyroid because it absolutely affects your cortisol and shows up on the Dutch test. And then, you know, you don't feel good. You have all these wow. symptoms. That is, I, I'm taking so many notes right now. But <laughs> <laughs> because actually I was looking at my own and I'm like, yeah, metabolized cortisol, low, free high. And, you know, I have a thyroid issue. So it's interesting and it's subclinical, but, you know, just a TSH normal again, but there's T4 issues. So I, I think like that's one of the reasons why we look at our patients, but we tell them, please get a full thyroid panel. Mm-hmm including antibodies, because a lot of times we just see TSH, that's it. And I th- even practitioners for, forget that TSH is just, um, 
it's just a marker of if the pituitary gland is happy. So if the pituitary gland is happy with the amount of T3 that's that's happening, then the TSH will look normal. And while the while making the pituitary gland happy is very important, um, it has really no bearing on the rest systemically, like what's going on in your colon, what's going on in your fat cells, what's going on in your ovaries, what's going on, you know, your fingers and your toes. And so if you're, if all those peripheral things are not happy, then, but your, your pituitary is happy, you'll have a normal TSH, but everywhere else in your body will look and feel hypothyroid or slightly hypothyroid. And that totally shows up against the adrenal glands. It totally affects the way we handle cortisol um, in our body. And so it's such, a, it's such a good reminder of how good friends, the thyroid and the cortisol, and even of course the ovaries too, like how they all immediately interact with each other. They're, they're not isolated systems. They're, they're, they're bestie friends and they you know, talk all day long. And so we have to look at this as a much bigger picture. So we can see how the effect of stress can, I mean, long-term chronic stress can start to affect uh, everything like a domino, I guess. Uh, it does. It does. I mean, again, like I was saying earlier, and not only can high, if, if there's a lot of stimulation from the brain happening to the adrenals, women can get this PCOS picture of high testosterone, high DHEA, but all that high cortisol and adrenaline will shut down your LH surge and your LH surge is what causes you to ovulate. Um, but if you think about it, it's a, it's, kind, it's a survival mechanism, right? If you are literally running from the tiger, then you're going to have a lot of cortisol and adrenaline, noradrenaline or norepinephrine floating around. And so the brain is like, we cannot get pregnant right now. We are running from the tiger. This is a bad idea. And it will slow or stop ovulation. And so, but, but we don't run, we don't literally run from tigers anymore. We, right. we just have things like stress in our life and our job and our families and, you know, illness and infection and inflammation and environmental toxicities and social media. And so our tigers have become normalized, but our body sees it as, still sees it as a threat. And I, I would, I often wonder, young girls, you know, teenagers sometimes come to us and they're, it's just difficult to diagnose them with PCOS at an early age sometimes, but how young can you be to actually have this type of testing done or what would you recommend? Oh, definitely. I absolutely say um, you can do it young teens. And I tell, um, you know, practitioners or teens themselves or their moms, like, Hey, once you start your period and especially, and I say, you know, try to give it a couple of periods. Like, let's say you start your period at 14 and it's rough. It's not good. You're having all these symptoms give yourself a couple of months, see if that brain ovarian communication smooths out, um, you know, catches on. It can take a while in the teenage female brain for the brain and the ovary to like really get their sink down. However, if you have all the symptoms and especially if you have a family history, your mom has, you know, PCOS, PCOS-like, your, your aunts, grandma, maybe your older sisters, then, then definitely test. Like, you know, don't wait, don't let anybody sort of brush you off. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you're going through puberty as a teenager. It, it can, and it does definitely teenagers get acne and teenagers are moody, but I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss PCOS because like the, the, um, well, as you know, right, like there's a long delay between symptom onset and diagnosis of PCOS because women get brushed off. And that's not fair. If we can find out at 14, 15, 16, you've got cortisol issues, you have testosterone issues, you have progesterone issues there. You don't have to take hormones at all. I'm not saying that, but you can definitely do lifestyle changes, sleep changes, supplemental changes, nutrition changes to help 
improve this whole system so that by the time you get into your late teens and 20s, you're prepared, you're empowered, and you're feeling so much better. I definitely wish this test was around when I was a teenager. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. And plus it's non-invasive. So they, you know, you can do it at home, which is great. And I always say, well, like, well, my, you know, I had my cortisol blood checked. I'm like, well, how accurate is that going to be? You had one cortisol and it was a blood draw. So I don't know how yeah. that can be accurate, you know? You know, and the problem with the blood draw for cortisol, like it's a, it's a okay, quickie screening test. But what people forget is that hormones are like children. They can't be unattended at any time. So all of your hormone predominantly like 95 plus percent are bound up on these buses um, called binding globulins or something else called albumin. And so when you do a blood draw for cortisol, you're getting this combination of cortisol on a bus, which is inactive, and cortisol that's free. So for easy math numbers, let's say you draw cortisol in the morning and it's 10. You don't know if that's nine free cortisols and one bound to a bus, or if it's nine bound to a bus and one free. And nine free is way more active than one free, but you don't know. All you see is the numbers 10 and 10 falls in the normal range. And so you just get this like kind of worthless number. The only reason that the blood is really helpful is if it's really, really low, then you might th think Addison's disease, which is autoimmune. Mm -hmm. Or if it's really, really high, you might think Cushing's, um, which are sort of the two extreme ends, but it doesn't help you when it's in the middle in that gray area, brain right. adrenal dysfunction. And I think the biggest reason a lot of our patients want to get their cortisol measured is weight gain <laughs> or fatigue yes. or a lot, you know, they're just, they want to know why can't I lose this weight? I've been trying a million diets. I can't, I exercise every day. It's not coming off. Right. And they want to see what the cortisol is doing. So I'd say, well, look, this is four to five samples of your cortisol throughout, you know, the late data early morning and it can tell you your circadian rhythm too, I think, right? So. Yeah, because you might have completely normal cortisol production. Your, your ability to make cortisol might not be the problem. You just do it at the wrong time, right? So you may have really low levels in the morning, which is why you're so tired. And then you get higher and higher levels through your day and that's why you can't sleep or have anxiety um, or have blood sugar issues. And so we call that a flipped curve because you're supposed to have higher cortisol in the morning. It's higher to get your butt out of bed and give you energy. It manages um, the fact that you, you, know, you wake up in a fasted state. So it, it helps you with blood sugar balance. It actually helps reduce your risk for autoimmune. That, that spike in cortisol in the morning is helpful for destroying autoimmune T cells. Um, but if you don't have that in the morning, if it's, if it's too low, these are women that say, I'm tired in the morning. I need caffeine to get going. Um, I'm gaining weight. My blood sugar's a mess. Um, I developed autoimmune or my autoimmune symptoms are bad in the morning. And I can point to the circadian rhythm and say, yep, I can, I can see why. Here's what's going on. Wow, this is so good. I think this really clarifies a lot, you know, and, and general looking at things. So we have a, a few patients who have requested the cycle mapping test that you guys yes. have. So for PCOS, how does that work as far as what if someone <laughs> has like a 60-day or a 90-day gap between cycles and how, how do they know when to start, what to do? So that can be a lot tougher. So the cycle mapping is probably my, my most favorite test um, for women who are still cycling or supposed to be cycling. Um, because what it does is you will collect one single test every morning. So you'll just pee on one little piece of paper, a little filter paper, um, pretty much every morning of your cycle. And then we at the lab graph out your estrogen and progesterone 
rise and fall throughout the whole month. So when somebody has a really long cycle, 60 days, 90 days, we do have instructions for if you have a really long cycle, um, the, you know, this is, this is how we suggest that you collect. And we, especially if they're 90 day women, which is common with PCOS, we can send additional collection strips because there's only so many strips in the kit. Um, but 90 days might be pretty long. Um, so we, you can we can do it that way. Okay. So you could do a 90 day collection is what you're saying? You or? could do. Now it's a lot. That's a lot. What I would say is like, you can do it. It's absolutely a possibility. What I would say a lot of practitioners do is they try to at least get the cycle shrunk down. So they try to get them from maybe 90 to 60 days or 90 to 45 days, just naturally working with them. And then they'll do the cycle mapping to figure out like, how can they tighten that up even more? Because 90 days is, it's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of collection for a lot of women. Um, right. You can, you as the practitioner, if you can go, okay, let's see if we could do all that, you know, diet and lifestyle, you know, sleep, supplemental, what have you, um, and, and shorten that up, then do the cycle mapping. Um, it, it's, it's easier for the patient because it's not 90 straight days of collection, which is 30 days is hard enough. That's <laughs> quite a, a few. Lot. Yeah, that definitely. Uh, and, and also we do recommend BBT charting for our patients. So, and also for the women in our 90 day reset, we, uh, we just opened our um, program up a couple of weeks ago. So the registration's closed now, but it will reopen in the summer. And what we're focusing on right now is actually doing the charting first to actually see if there is a pattern of ovulation and when they see the spike to go ahead and wait you know, seven days then to do the Dutch test at that point. Is that, is that what you would recommend for someone with an irregular cycle or? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great idea. Yep. And getting to know your pattern a little. And plus I feel like if they do it and they're not, and it's not an ovulatory cycle, it might not be very accurate as far as the progesterone and the estrogen, correct? Well, it's not so much that it's accurate. It'll be accurate for them in the non-ovulatory cycle. So if Mm -hmm. they aren't ovulating that, that, stretch, um, then you're just going to see super low progesterone. It might just be a low flat line. And then the estrogen sort of depends. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. I mean, it just sort of depends. So it's, it is accurate to them. It's just not what you want to see. You, you hope that you, you know, you're trying to get her to ovulate, to make progesterone, to have the healthy rise and fall of estrogen and progesterone. That's what you're trying to get. But of course, with PCOS, it's not always the case. Definitely. And also it's helpful to see that progesterone. I I always tell patients like, okay, you have a lot of testing done in the first half of your cycle, but where's that testing in the luteal phase? Right. (laughs) And they might have one progesterone blood draw, but that's done, you know, a few days perhaps after ovulation. But what's happening when implantation is trying to occur. And so that's, I think that's great. The cycle mapping will show that. And, you know, also, you know, in women who are trying to come off birth control and they've waited a couple months and now they're ready to test their cycle, really see what their hormones are doing after maybe 10 years of being suppressed. So I I think that's the the beautiful part of that kind of test, you know. Definitely. And we do see it a lot on cycle mapping. You know, hormones aren't perfect, as we know. They don't always follow the textbook. And so definitely I'll have seen day 19, 20, 21, again, that mid-luteal phase, their hormones look perfect, but yet she says, I have all these PMS symptoms or um, I have have early, I have a... um, 
history of early miscarriage. And so when we do the cycle mapping, we find that the progesterone is maybe good until about day 19 or 20, and then it starts to plummet pretty quickly after that. And if you don't see that bigger picture, if you're just doing one day and it looks good on that one day, it really only means it's good that one day. Um, so it's, it's, it's helpful when you're comparing it with symptoms, but when you do the cycle mapping, I like that I can say, okay, you're good up until this point and then you start to crash. So we need to help prevent the rapid crash. Um, we want like a slow, steady decline of hormone. So you get your next period as opposed to like this peak up and then in this, you know, complete crash down. Or if she's trying to get pregnant and she's implanted, we want that progesterone to be nice and high and, and sustained throughout her whole pregnancy. Right. You want her to have early miscarriage. Right. That's important. And two, I mean, they might not always have the symptoms of luteal phase defect where the cycle mm -hmm. is a little shorter and there's some spotting. Sometimes you don't see it. So it's so good yeah. to have another way, another test to, to show that. And right. so I know we've been talking a lot about hormones, but I, I wanted to get into a little bit of uh, depression and anxiety that can come along with PCOS. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of times it's, it's, you know, 60 to 70% of women with PCOS have anxiety and depression um, and to different degrees. But um, as far as this test, when we look at the, there's actually a portion of it that tests your neurotransmitter metabolites. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you could talk a a little bit about how do you view that as if, okay, I'm considering maybe getting on medication, but I'm not sure if it's, you know, hormonal origin or what's going on. Um, how would that help maybe your psychiatrist or your primary to look at these results and kind of interpret them that way? Definitely. And hormones, there's a lot of reasons for depression and anxiety. Hormones are a big reason um, for depression and anxiety that I've seen, especially like I'll give you a couple examples just so women understand who are listening, like progesterone. So progesterone is our calming, relaxing, you know, everything's going to be okay type of hormone. And when we don't have enough of it, especially in the luteal phase, that second half of our cycle after ovulation, we tend to feel more irritated agitated, moody, you know, anxious, we can't sleep, our PMS is worse because we're missing out on that progesterone. And the, and the reason that progesterone works so well for, for a lot of women um, is that it converts into this hormone called aloe, A-L-L-O, and aloe can cross the blood-brain barrier and touch on GABA, and GABA is our main inhibitory neurotransmitter in our brain. It's, it's what um, like anti-anxiety medications work on, like Xanax and Valium and you know, the, those benzodiazepines. They're very calming because they work on GABA and progesterone can do that too in a, in a roundabout way. Whereas estrogen, estrogen um, can affect our mood in two different ways. So if you have a lot of estrogen, if you're um, producing a lot of estrogen in that luteal phase, in that second half, what it does is it is it decreases your ability to make serotonin. And of course, we all associate serotonin as our anti-depression hormone. So high estrogen can make our body not produce as much serotonin. And so now we're more depressed. But unfortunately, we actually need estrogen. It's like Goldilocks and the three bears. Like we need estrogen in just the right amount because too low of estrogen also means we can't make enough serotonin. We need estrogen to actually help stimulate the enzyme that converts tryptophan, which is the amino acid that starts the process, into 
5-HTP, it's a, we call it a rate limiting step. Like it, it has, if it doesn't happen, then it, then it ain't going to happen. So when women are headed into menopause, which is a common reason for low estrogen, or if she's PMS or uh, excuse me, PCOS, and she has skip cycles, irregular cycles, or just plain old amenorrhea, now she doesn't have as much estrogen floating around. And so she can't make serotonin through this, this rate limiting step. And so she's, more, so she's more prone to depression. And then of course, when she's amenorrhea, irregular cycles, she doesn't ovulate, she doesn't make progesterone, and now she doesn't get GABA stimulation. So she's more anxious as well. So that's just like two you know, sort of ways that estrogen and progesterone can be really helpful for our mood. So hormone testing is really helpful for those women who say, I have anxiety and depression, especially worse around their cycle. But when we look at the Dutch test, we give neurotransmitter metabolites, they're called organic acids, and we give the ones for dopamine, for norepinephrine, and we actually used to give the one for serotonin. We just, we actually just removed it because um, it's really temperamental for foods, like common foods like avocados, bananas will greatly affect the results. And, and so we found that so many women had a hard time avoiding it. You have to avoid certain, a whole group of foods for three days. It was really tough. So we actually oh, just stop running that marker. However, dopamine, if, if you think about it, dopamine's our reward center hormone. And so um, women who say, I get cravings, I have addictions, um, you know, good or bad addictions, um, because there's, they're, they're reward seeking, they're not getting enough dopamine. Dopamine helps us with energy and it helps us um, feel good. And so when we don't, we see on the Dutch test that that dopamine marker is low, it could definitely mean you aren't getting enough dopamine. You don't have enough um, uh, tyrosine maybe in your body to make dopamine or there's something getting in the way of your ability to, to go from tyrosine to dopamine and then create this metabolite. And so, and same with norepinephrine and epinephrine. If you're a very highly anxious person and we look and your norepinephrine, epinephrine metabolites are high, high well, what's one metabolite? Single metabolite is high. I can say, oh, you are literally fight or flight. Like you have an excessive amount of norepinephrine, epinephrine, and it's worsening your anxiety and often insomnia or causing insomnia. And so there's multiple points on the Dutch test, which is why I like that I can look at and say, you know, this is likely one of the reasons for your depression, anxiety, or these are two reasons or three reasons or, or even thyroid. I can look at the cortisol like we talked earlier and say, wow, it looks like you, we should get your thyroid tested because your thyroid doesn't look that good. And of course, hypothyroidism can increase the risk for anxiety and depression. Um, just like hyper, too much thyroid, hyperthyroidism can increase anxiety feelings. And so it's, a, it's this multi-point test that I can, I can really tie, try to tie it all in for her and, and try to get all her hormones in balance. Very interesting. Yeah. So when you're, look, actually, so I'll give an example for everyone listening. Um, so we had a, a patient who uh, was on hormone replacement therapy and she was taking an estrogen patch, very low dose. And she said, I just don't feel good. Like I still have all these symptoms. I don't understand. And so, you know, she actually wanted to do the Dutch test and say, well, I just want to see what, what's going on. So we, you know, she was in, in her sixties and we tested her and everything came back very low. I mean, to the point of, I guess the purple range we see on the dial, like it's, yeah. it is pretty low. And 
So I said, why don't you discuss this with your gynecologist? Because uh, for some reason, they were giving her estrogen and they were not testing her at all, like blood work or anything. Oh. Uh, that just can, you know, continue that at 0.5 of, you know, she was taking a bell or something. So just continue that and you'll be fine. And she's also on antidepressants as well. So said, well, you know, she actually found another gynecologist. He actually looked at her results. He's never seen a Dutch test in his life. You know, he's a Mm -hmm. a standard uh, gynecologist and said, whoa, like you're not getting the benefit of this treatment. We need to increase your estrogen. And so for her, that made the difference because, you know, you were able to see that the the treatment wasn't working, Right. (laughs) you know? Right. and so, you know, it's not a, uh, there's, there's, I mean, it's not going to be an overnight thing, but I think in her case, she's actually now getting the treatment that she needed. And so, you know, just, just, I mean, even if the practitioner you're going to is not familiar with this, they might actually find it very fascinating to see, you know, because it is a newer test that they're to actually see all the, if they're, they know biochemistry, which most of them do, and, and kind of see what's going on inside your body and how those hormones being metabolized, perhaps they might hesitate before putting you on an antidepressant if they're seeing it's a hormonal origin, hopefully, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And when we, when we did run um, our serotonin marker, um, women who were on antidepressants like SSRIs or SNRIs, the, by by design, their mechanism of action, of course, they should have a lot higher serotonin. Right. And so on the Dutch test, we would see higher levels of that serotonin marker come through. However, um, if somebody was on an SSRI and they're dep- they still have depression, they were like, this isn't working for me. I, I don't, you know, my doctor keeps saying, well, you're, just stay on the antidepressant. I'm like, but I'm still depressed. And if we saw on that serotonin marker that it was in range or even low, I could tell them, I'm like, it's, it's not working because by default, the mechanism of action is to increase the, um, the, how much serotonin hangs around in the synaptic cleft. And so, and it's, it's not doing that. It's, it's not working. It's, um, there's other issues in the production of serotonin going on. And so it was nice in that regard of having that marker if somebody was on an SSRI and we didn't feel like it was working. But again, like I said, the tricky part is it's that that serotonin marker is very sensitive to foods. And a lot of the foods were so common that we would get notes back from women on the Dutch test like, oh, sorry, I ate avocado yesterday and a banana in my smoothie this morning. I was like, well... <laughs> that literally can throw the whole test. Sorry. <laughs> Not the whole Dutch test, but the serotonin test. And so then we don't know what we're looking at. Are we looking at avocado banana influence? Or are we looking at your actual, you know, chemistry going on? That's tough. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I was surprised that a lot of times this woman who thought they were estrogen dominant were actually low in estrogen. Which yes. Uh, so yeah. That was a little tricky. <laughs> well, and what's interesting about that too is now that I, we have seen so many cycle mapping is that women um, in Chinese medicine, when you're looking at temperatures, if your temperature goes sort of up and down, they call it a sawtooth pattern, which is a, um, they, I believe my my Chinese practitioner friends, it's a liver associated mm-hmm. um, it, with hormones. But what we would see in the cycle mapping is I call it the same. It's a cycle, it's a um, sawtooth pattern as well of estrogen. So post ovulation, estrogen dips down and then it comes up and then it kind of goes down again. And so it's not a steady state estrogen that, I mean, hormones are never a steady state, but at least on testing, it wasn't consistent like this, this pretty estrogen, you know, 
rise and fall after ovulation. It would kind of like jig jag around and that's how she felt. She's like, one day is good. The next day is bad. You know, I don't, I never know what to expect. And so sometimes just doing the one, the day 19, 20, 21, if it's low, but yet she says I have heavy periods or, you know, PMS or, um, you know, my breasts get large. She has all the classic sort of estrogen dominant symptoms. I'm like, oh, you know what? I bet, I bet if we had done a cycle mapping, we would see this sawtooth or up down estrogen pattern. And I bet it's still like, it's probably still very liver related. And, you know, it's your, it's no wonder that you feel kind of being pulled all over the place hormonally because your hormones are literally bouncing around more so than we would expect. Okay. So if someone is surprised by that, they might want to do the cycle mapping. Yes. And, and I, and if, when I do consult with, with, um, colleagues, they'll say, what do you think? I'm like, well, actually next time I would consider the cycle mapping, I would treat them based on sort of this assumption, you know, obviously you're going to work to try to get their estrogen to smooth out, so to speak, work on their liver, um, work on brain ovarian communication, work on, you know, all the other systems in the body. Um, and then the next go round next time, then look at cycle mapping and see what that estrogen is doing from a broader, bigger picture, as opposed to just one day. Okay. Very good. Well, especially when she said, when she's, when women are say that, cause of course, I'm sure, of course you've had women that are like, I feel like my hormones pull me around. Like, I feel like I never know what it's going to feel like from day to day, or I have a couple good days and a couple bad days and a couple good days and a couple bad days. And it's sort of all over the place. And that's when I really start to suspect, huh, I bet your estrogen's not really low and solidly low. I bet it's jumping around. Mm, that's so helpful. Yeah. Extreme. Exactly. More so. I mean, it always jumps, but like extreme that's showing up on testing like that. Okay. Yeah. Because it, right. It can be, so, it can be a little confusing. I think that's when the, the, the BBT charting is helpful too, yes. to look at uh, together. So, and you know, that's, that's really, I think one of the, the focuses that we try to work with our patients on and, you know, to, to put all the data together. So the blood work, the BBT, the Dutch test, your symptoms, you know, really track everything, be, be your own detective. And that's going to really go, you know, extremely far and helping to figure out, you know, what supplements could be helpful, what lifestyle things you need to do and, you know, what type of practitioner even to choose. And so, you know, that, that even just looking at, you know, sometimes like we had a patient come in who was on um, DEM and she was saying, oh, I have hot flashes, night sweats. And, you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, we did the Dutch test and sure enough, she was clearing everything. There was, you know, even though she was uh, taking estrogen, it was going right out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we see that. You know, it's funny. I get challenged a lot on that where, um, where people go, well, there's no research to show that DIM lowers E1 and E2 out of circulation. And I say, gosh, when you look at a lab and see thousands of test results a week, um, I, I see it because people will write down, I take DIM, I take um, indole-free carbonyl, I3C, and they check the boxes for hot flashes and night sweats. And, you know, sure enough, their E1 and E2 has been cleared out it's like sort of the, like the, the drain has been opened up so much that the estrogen just flows in and flows out. <laughs> it's just swept right up into detoxification. And so I'll say, okay, either back off the dose or find something else because it's that product is doing its job so well that you've now made them estrogen deficient and they have estrogen deficient symptoms. And, and I think it's a lot of times good intentions. Well, this person has a fibroid or they have, you know, endometriosis. Yeah. So yeah, you know, they can be estrogen sure. dominant and that's the well-intentioned thing. But when we look at it like, well, 
they definitely don't, they don't have any more left. (laughs) And especially I think when women get in near menopause and and so their estrogen levels are naturally declining. Mm -hmm. Um, However, maybe they have a reason, of course, to go on dim. Maybe you're trying to work to help prevent, you know, reduce the risk for cancer or other symptoms. And now they call you and say, okay, I'm taking this product, but now I have hot flashes and night sweats worse than before. It's like, okay, it's like this stuff is potent. Supplements are real. (laughs) Yes, they definitely are. Because they're natural doesn't mean they don't have any side effects. (laughs) That's it. And, and I mean, I would say, I just want to mention one more thing about this test is because uh, what we see over and over is the B, the vitamin B12 deficiency uh, come up again and again. And so why do you think that's so common? With oh my women. gosh. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, not so saying it's common. just for vegan or vegetarian, but for many, many women. So, so common. In fact, I was at a, um, I was at a conference last year, I believe. Um, there's a, a group in Australia, Australia called MTHFR support. And, um, the practitioner there, Carolyn Ladowski puts it on and she talks so much about B12. Like I was total con, con you know, convert, convert, like, oh my gosh, B12 is deficient everywhere. Like, <laughs> everyone seems to need B12. Um, the, the blood tests for B12 are often inaccurate. Um, and so what our test that we do uh, is called an MMA, methylmalonic or methylmalonate, um, which is a marker of deficient adenosyl B12. So we have a few different forms of B12. And adenosyl B12 um, is the B12 of the mitochondria. And so if you think about it, um, we as humans in this day and age, I feel we have a lot of mitochondrial issues. And if you remember from, you know, biochemistry high school class, there's, you know, those are powerhouses, right? They produce our energy and our cells. And so many, they're very fragile. They can be damaged very easily from stress, from, you know, uh, environmental stuff, from our, you know, diet and lifestyle choices. And I think what's happening is that we're, we're not getting the B12 in, um, if through our diets are it's the foods we're eating are deplete, uh, whether you're vegetarian, vegan or not. Like I just think the quality of our food all around from plant-based to animal-based is just not as good as it used to be, you know, years ago. And then we, we don't, we don't have the ability to, um, um, to, to use, to use our mito, or excuse me, to use and absorb our B12. We have all sorts of gut issues. We have absorption issues. We have, you know, um, we're, people are on proton pump inhibitors. They're on things for acid reflux and now they can't absorb their B12. They don't have enough, believe it or not, maybe they don't have enough stomach acid in the first place. So again, they can't absorb their B12. There's a autoimmune condition called pernicious anemia where you have trouble absorbing your B12. And, and so you add all this together and we seem to have this population deplete, um, again, even suboptimally in, in B12. And B12 is so important for so many things in the body, everything, right? From nerves to energy, to hormones, to just brain, to everything. And, um, pregnancy, miscarriage. Yeah, exactly. Like the list is like a mile long. And so, um, and so I, we, we need it and people will say, well, I'm not, again, I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I shouldn't be low in B12. I'm like, I know, again, I still think like digestion counts and quality counts and our mitochondria counts and, and it's just a perfect storm and we just don't get it like, like we could, or we should. And when someone is out of range for this, then would you recommend MTHF testing or genetic testing or anything like that? Or, or basically that they just need to supplement a little bit more with B12. (laughs) Um, and, And it depends on the person, right? So if depending on their history, 
you may decide like, wow, actually I do want to do all this SNP testing to see what's going on. Cause there are certain SNPs that of course help in the methylation cycle that involve B12 like MTR and MTRR, um, which are two different SNPs. Um, or, you know, you're, you may backpedal and go, all right, why is your B12 not that great? Is it a, is it a dietary thing? Is it a, an absorption thing? Are you on acid blockers and you have been for years? Are you on the birth control pill and you're getting, it's getting depleted? Are you on metformin or which is known as glucophage? And it's, that's, also a medication that's very commonly depletes B12. And so, and so like working backwards to find the cause, um, you can absolutely do some supplementation, but if they're on an acid blocker and that's the reason it's like, okay, let's figure out why do you need an acid blocker every day? Or, you know, if you're on metformin or glucophage for their blood sugar and insulin, it's like, okay, let's back up and let's see if we can, we can figure this out without needing the medication? Were you just given the medication with n no other advice? Um, or are you actively working on exercise, diet, nutrition, you know, sleep, hormones, you know, all this stuff to try to get your blood sugar and insulin right, your pancreas healthy so that you can go off the, the metformin. And then your B12 problems are all, could, might be resolved. That's awesome. Well, I think this is extremely helpful and um, definitely I'd love to, I'm going to link to the Dutch test to, to, you can actually order this test kit online from wherever you are in the world. And you get about a 14 page, very in-depth report <laughs> about your hormones. And definitely there are practitioners out there that can help with this as well. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you're listening, if you list them on the website or how, how would someone get in touch with a practitioner that does this? Um, well, they, they should contact you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they, they, they contact you for sure. Um, but yes, we do Dutch test. We do have a, if you call the lab or, um, you know, you can email us so even on our website, we have instant chat. You can put instant chat in our little instant chat box and say where in the world you are. And we can refer you to a list of practitioners who are either in your area or do, um, you know, visitations online on Skype, on Zoom, on, you know, on FaceTime, you know, that kind of stuff. So we do have a lot of options for everywhere, everywhere in the world. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jones. And I really look forward to discussing this again, perhaps in a future Facebook Live for our patients yes. and uh, our 90-day reset participants. So, um, so I hope everyone has a wonderful week and uh, just happy hormone testing. Whatever way you find help, definitely get it because it's, it's out there now. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And that's the end of this episode of the PCOS Revolution podcast. If you've enjoyed the show and want to help me spread the word about how women with PCOS and hormonal imbalances can lead happier, more healthier lives, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to have a question answered on the show or would like to recommend a guest, please go to floridacompletewellness.com slash podcast. If you're on social media, you can follow me at facebook.com slash Florida Complete Wellness and twitter.com slash Florida Complete, where I post a lot of interesting research, webinars, and articles on our blog about really getting to the root of hormonal imbalances like PCOS. So it's a great way to stay in touch with the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon. Mm -hmm.